Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Extra Bits. This week, we're talking STEM subjects and girls with Yawande Akinola, and we meet the youngest ever person to climb Everest, Benita Norris. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Because this week was GCSE Results Week, and lots of 15 and 16 year olds panicking about whether or not their lives would be ruined forever um, if they didn't get a see in knitting or whatever it is they do now. God, I'm so <laughs> old. I'm like, that was cynical, wasn't it? That was mean and cynical. I'm cynical. sorry, teenagers. Out, teenagers. I know that you're you worked really now, hard. I know that you're not doing knitting. I hope you're not doing knitting. Uh, joining us to talk about why more girls than ever are doing STEM subjects, science subjects, Yuande Akinola, engineer and innovator. Hello, Yuande. Hi, how are you? Good, thank good, you. Thank good, you good. so much for coming in. Um, so this year we have started to see a slight uptick in yes. girls doing science subjects yes why do you think that is um i you know i'm first of all can i just say i'm super glad about that happening because it just <laughs> means the last 10 years of me going into school <laughs> and pretty much pleading with you know girls and teachers and boys to say you know what this is something for all of you um it has actually come to something so yeah. i'm so i've Yay. been celebrating all well done, week. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well done. um yeah but i think it's just because a lot of people have been putting the work out there to be able to say come on guys this is something that is for you if you're interested in being creative, right? Um, like STEM careers are an option for you. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, role models being out there as well because it's a big, massive perception issue, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of girls don't necessarily see themselves as scientists or engineers uh, because they don't see people who mm -hmm. look like scientists and engineers like that that look like them yeah. so um the work that the likes of the iet this institution of engineering and technology and lots of other private companies and government have been doing is pretty much putting those role models you know really out there in schools and getting the message across I think it's really interesting that we've been talking about kind of girls in STEM for a really long time and it has constantly come back when we've asked engineering companies or technology companies, why do you not have women on your boards? The answer inevitably comes because girls do not do science at school. Exactly, yeah. And so if we can start to shift it a little bit at school, then hopefully that excuse runs out. Yeah, hopefully, right. So by the time I'm retiring, <laughs> 
I'm hoping that we we run out of as many excuses as possible on that list. Definitely, um, it's really important to get the 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 flow of talent coming through. Um, I work in in the construction industry, and one thing I'm desperate for is that influx of talent and creativity. And that's something girls bring to the table. We think different. We approach problems from a, a creative. Yes, we can do it. You know, yeah. point of view. And we absolutely need more of that. So what's your background then? What made you get into the construction industry? Because, I, you know, um, being at school, I don't remember ever seeing that as a, a career that women went into. Yeah, I've got my mom to blame for it. Okay. <laughs> Literally. And my mom's an artist, but I think all her life, you know, she, she wanted to become a, a creative engineer of some sort or an architect. Um, and I can remember when I was thinking about architecture. So architecture was my longest running I want to become in addition to an archaeologist and a fashion designer and so many other really cool things. Um, but I remember she came up to me and she said, you know what, if you explore engineering, you can solve our world's problems. Mm -hmm. You know, you can solve agriculture problems. You can you can fix my car as well. <laughs> um, and, a, and, and a couple of other things. And that was the attraction to me. I I, I wouldn't say I was convinced, you know, immediately, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go with her flow. Um, I'm going to push it for as far as I can. Um, and today, you know, 12 years after, I have zero regrets. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. what, do, what specifically do you do in the construction industry? Like as a, as an engineer, give it, give us an example of the kind of, um, like jobs or exciting things that you can do. Right. So, um, I work as an innovator in the construction industry. So we know we've got these fantastic buildings standing up. I work for uh, a company. Am I allowed to say the company I work yeah, for? Yeah. I work for a great company called Langarook, plug, plug. <laughs> um, and we pretty much build, you know, we construct buildings, amazing buildings here in London and the work that I do is pretty much to think about the future of how we bring buildings together. So we all have traditional methods, you know, your building goes in, you've got your concrete and we are saying if we think about it from a manufacturing point of view where we can make parts of it in a factory, in a controlled environment, right, where we know we are producing the exact thing that the client has asked for and then ship it to site and reduce that program time by a massive percentage. So my job is to think of those creative ways to put buildings right. together. Wow. So you can, you can just completely rethink the way that construction's always absolutely, been done, Absolutely, right? absolutely. And and with AI, with robots, yeah. oh my gosh, like the sky is yeah. the, the starting I, point. I saw a startup that was 3D printing houses yeah. in South America. Yeah, and absolutely. it was absolutely amazing to watch this robot. And they'd done almost exactly that. They yeah. were like, we've got to build all these houses. Yeah. They were like emergency housing. And then their challenge was, you know, if you can build 10, how would you build a thousand? Exactly. And they were, they came up with 3D printing and they 3D print them with concrete. It's amazing. It's, it's pretty exciting. It really is, you know, and, and, and with technology, right? There's just so much that's possible these yeah. days. Yes. Do you think that's where we're going wrong though? That people don't actually know what engineering is. You know, you know, like what is it? And yeah. you've just explained beautifully and it's kind of excited me. And I, yeah. I, am, I am such a linguist and a theatrical person that science is not my field. But even I got excited by you describing that. Oh, is that's... that, is that where we're going wrong? I, I think so. Well, I, I'd say it's where we can do a lot. Mm. better you know uh, you know i think we just need to express it in the ways that excites people and it's not it's not it's not telling a story that isn't it's, it's just telling it in a way that engages mm -hmm. yeah 
do you think that story is not just about for students it's also about for parents mm. so i remember years ago um talking to the kind of graduate recruitment for a big oil company yeah. and they said you know one of the big problems they have is that if they go and put a stand up in schools they're like parents will come around and be like oh i don't want my daughter to get dirty mm. you know there's a kind of real misconception about what it's going to be like yeah. actually on the ground in that industry. yes absolutely that you know so um we so I, I, I sit on the board of trustees at the IET, the Institution of Engineering and Technology, and over the last couple of years, we've been running uh, lots of research, right? Um, and um, we know, you know, just based on the current research, we know that people are beginning to understand that engineering is not just about the mess, right? Um, there's a lot of design, there's a lot of creativity, there's color, vibrance, there's all the all the different things. There's technology, which is really exciting. Um, and that is definitely on the up, but we still need to get to teachers. We yeah. still need to get to parents. Um, we, we still need to get the messages across them to say, guys, we're here to help as well. You know, if you're not sure, if your kid is, you know, has some interest in, in creativity, but you're not exactly sure if STEM is for them, whether they're a boy or a girl, we are here to help. Do you think, because um, the other thing I, I think probably lots of parents think is, well, I'll, maybe I'll put my daughter, you know, maybe I'll encourage my daughter down this route and she'll do it, but then she'll end up in an office and she's the only woman in the office. Yeah. And she's not going to get anywhere. Yeah. yeah. You, you know you know how, like, over the last hundred years, we've been fighting for, you know, the presence <laughs> yeah. of women in organizations. Yeah. This, I, I think we're currently at that stage, you know, and people like, well, in all humility, people like myself and yeah. hundreds of amazing other women out there are fighting for that presence yeah. so that when the likes of our five-year-olds and our 10-year-olds are coming through, we are in a better situation. Yeah. But you know what? It's all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, recently, the research that the IET has carried out um, has, has, is suggesting that there's a 10% drop in kids' interest in science. Right? Oh, and across the board, boys and girls, well, boys 10%. And, exactly. And, and again, this is now maybe not parents' perception, but again, you know, need, we need parents' perception and we need teachers to be supported, right? We need teachers to have all the resources that they need to be able to maintain kids' interest and, and, and grow it when, it when it when it needs to be grown. Yeah. But realizing that it's not STEM is not for all kids, but then where they show an interest, it needs to be supported. Yeah. I mean, it's a, such a kinesthetic way of learning, isn't it? Mm. Do you think maybe the shortage in equipment within schools, because mm. obviously budgets, every, every department every year fights for yeah. a budget. Yeah. Do you think that might be affecting I it? I think so as well. Mm. I think you, you're you're so right. You know, it's it's a very complex space. You know, um, arts sciences, but but I, I I my argument is, you know, we need the sciences and the arts to work together. You know, yeah. um, we, we need we we absolutely need both of them to work together. So if people start mm. to you know see that we need equal resources um in, in in both in both areas um would be winning and also i think that we start them to see the science is creative as well so we say if you're a creative you should be an arts and that's not true mm. you know there's so many things you can create if you have the science and knowledge to do so yes yeah. I, I think so as well um i i, I enjoy the creative parts of engineering more than I enjoy creative maths. problem solving, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I exactly as you said, right? I, I like, oh gosh, we've got we've got a problem. Yeah. Oh yes, you know. How about we bring in a bit of yellow into this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yellow's always the answer. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs>
cheery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I enjoy that that bit. You know, it, it kind of gets me more excited than 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 the number crunching. You know. Yeah. God, God, you're making me want to do oh engineering now. Oh, you're so adventurous. I'm like, yeah, I want to make buildings and bricks and things. Come join us. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely chatting to you. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Our next person is the youngest person to ever scale Everest. Um, Emma, tell us, biggest mountains you've had to climb. Have you ever actually climbed a literal mountain? Uh, I, uh, no. Well, I had a little go in uh, Corsica a couple of weeks ago. Aww. My Instagram's got a sensational shot that looks like I am like proper mountaineer. I was literally probably two foot off the ground. <laughs> is that the one I took? <laughs> that was the one you took, Benita. Yes, that was. That was. Uh, Benita was an incredible rock climber. Yeah. Uh, Samantha, what about you? I think moving to London on my own seven mm. years ago, I literally quit my job as a teacher. I didn't have a job to come to in London and moved um, on my own with no family or anything. So that was like, yay! <laughs> yay me! Start again <laughs> all the way up. And our next guest, Benita Norris. Hello, welcome. Hello. Um, biggest mountain you've ever had to climb. Everest <laughs> is the highest, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about you. Are you a professional climber? How did you come to be champing your way up Everest? Well, I, I don't really like to be called a pro climber myself because I always feel like I'm an amateur. I always feel like there's so much more to learn. There's someone better than me. I'm just out there doing my thing. I started climbing um, about 10 or 11 years ago now when I was at university and uh, I set my sights really quickly on Mount Everest. I just thought it was the most amazing challenge and I was lucky enough to reach the summit at 22. Wow. How, so you've been climbing for like three, four years at that point? Uh, two years. Two years. Wow. So you oh were climbing before you decided to go to Everest then, were you? Were you already kind of doing a bit of climbing and trekking and into that? Or yes. were you not, were you completely starting from... Well, the reason I started climbing was because I went to a lecture about Everest. <laughs> and I, I sat there and having never climbed anything and thought, that's that's it. That's what I. That's destiny. That's what I've got to do. That's that. It just all fell into place, and then from there I had to actually learn how to climb. So I did spend two years. I went to the Himalayas. I climbed other mountains. Got ready for Everest. Um, you have to know if your body can cope in the death zone above eight thousand mm. meters. So I did all that, and luckily my body could adapt, and I knew I had the fitness, and I had the climbing skills, and then had to also raise a lot of money in sponsorship, which was not easy at the time, being like twenty one university graduate but i did that and yeah got my place on the trip so when we say you're climbing everest what does that actually involve is it so i climbed snowden it was lovely (laughs) there was a path i followed it i got to the top i took a photo like is it how much actual throwing the crampons i said crampons i don't know what they are they actually go on your feet yes scaling versus walking how what do you have to do to prep for it the prep um i it's very personal each person prepares in their own way but for me it was all about specificity so if i wanted to climb over someone to climb as many mountains as possible that conditioning to the exposure the weather the conditions the long hours out on the mountain the blisters the um Learning how to use your kit, all of that. So I climbed Snowden. I followed. I thank you. I feel like any second now I'm going to be on Everest. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I've done it about a hundred times. They used to run up it and. um, (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. I I didn't run up 
it. I'm going to be a, honest. That was a bit of a burn now, <laughs> wasn't it? For a minute, Benita, you and I were on a level. <laughs> I think I nearly vomited on the top when I did try and run. So, um, But, yeah, the so that was the prep. It was just climb as many mountains as possible and um and then when you're actually on Everest the, the type of climbing varies a lot so uh the the first section of climbing is through the Kumbu Icefall it's this massive jumbled world of ice blocks so you are scaling like these very steep walls of ice and then you're kind of weaving around climbing over crevasses going over these ladders that we've placed down with you know a 50 meter drop beneath and then as you climb higher there's a quite a flat valley that we that we go through it's a walk really <laughs> but then we climb up the lotsy face very steep very hard rock solid ice that's you know really difficult to get purchase on and then finally on summit day we have to climb the hillary step which back when i climbed everest was a very steep rock climb so proper hand and foot climbing mm. at 8,800 meters, um, a killer. And, <sighs> uh, and then you have to obviously climb all of that in reverse to get back down. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'd lost my word. Was there any point when you're doing all your training runs? Because the conditions up there are extreme. Like the the notes that I've read in terms of like dealing with oxygen, like mm. we normally breathe at 15 times a minute, where up there you might be breathing 60 times yeah. a minute. You talk about at one point, you know, you're getting so much lack of oxygen that your your body starts shutting down organs like your stomach. Mm -hmm. was, there, was there any point when you're doing like those prep climbs towards getting to Everest that you were like, what what have I let myself in for? Like, at any time doing those prep climbs where you were like, actually, I just don't think I can do this. Yes, absolutely. In the Himalayas, I climbed the world's eighth highest peak before I went to Everest, and we climbed into the death zone. So what's important about the world's highest peaks is the death zone. It's You step above 8,000 metres, there's so little oxygen in the air that it means there's no chance of recovery from that point onwards you are slowly dying you're not going to acclimatize you're not going to get better or improve your fitness from that point so whether you sleep or climb whatever you do your body is deteriorating and, and how long can you down. stay in the death zone for before you're in big trouble i mean who knows they used to think it was like 24 hours but we've had people break records doing it for double treble that time um i think we were in it way a lot longer than 24 hours i think like 48 uh and um, that's not ideal, but it's just it's just the way it is sometimes. So I had experienced it on on my training climb, and that training climb still to this I call it a training climb. It was a big expedition. Still to this day, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Even though it's easier than Everest because it was so new, it's the yeah. first time, mm. and the first time is always the most overwhelming. Any climb I compare it to, it <laughs> never beats it. <laughs> it was just that. It was that full on. It was that just so out of anything that I could ever comprehend in terms of difficulty. It was the hardest day of my life. Every day it got harder and I just thought, where can this go? Oh yeah, it can get worse. And it did. But I survived. So, <laughs> What does your family make of this? Because my mum nearly had a heart attack when I said <laughs> I'm moving to London. Never mind <laughs> climbing Everest. Like what? I mean, obviously they were concerned, but do they realise this is your passion and, you know, this is something you really want to do? Were they supportive in that respect? Well, because it came out of nowhere, mm. literally, <laughs> you know, mum, dad, I'm going to climb Everest, I'm going in Bye. a few months. To yeah. <laughs> they, at first they laughed, they didn't really believe it, and then they 
kind of got a bit annoyed with me still going on about it thought I'd forget about it I didn't and then when I finally got the sponsorship and it was real then it hit them I think and uh yeah the fear really set in for them and mm. they didn't try and stop me but they asked me all the time and we'd argue a lot like why why mm. <laughs> why do you have to go and do this you've never shown any interest in the mountains before um and they don't sleep when I'm away for months at a time and my mum's really intuitive like she gets these weird six sense things and she mm. like wakes up in the night and she goes something's happened to Bonnie oh. and she's always right I phone her the next day and I'm like oh mum you know from the satellite phone or I managed to send an email from base camp or something and say this happened and I'm alive I'm okay so yeah oh. she she lives it even though she's not there I think it's harder for her than me how long does it take you to climb Everest our expedition was about six weeks up and down. Gosh. But you're not on the mountain the whole time. You actually spend a lot of time at base camp. So the way we climb is we'd rest a few days at base camp and then when we got our strength, we'd push up the mountain for a few days, get to that high point where our bodies aren't acclimatized anymore. It's really dangerous to climb too far. So then we come back down, rest at base camp, and then we go a bit higher. So it takes a long time. How do you mentally cope with that? Because presumably when your body is going through all of this anyway it's having an effect on your brain plus i i mean i would find it really frustrating to be like oh got a bit of oh and we'll come back down again oh a bit further oh we're back down again yeah everyone says that but actually you can't wait to go back down because <laughs> at base camp you get good food you're getting you know that we have a, a cook whereas when you're on the mountain you're just basically eating like a dry bit of salami or a derrily oh, triangle or something <laughs> yeah. and it's oh gosh the luxury of base camp um which is you know at 5300 meters on a glacier you're still sleeping <laughs> on the ice you're still minus 20 degrees at night it's not luxury but it feels it um but no i i love the long expeditions the longer the better in the past anyway because how often in your life do you ever get to disappear on a mountain and yeah. live on it and be with it and let it speak to you you know it's incredible experience what have you what did you learn about yourself when you finally like completed that that uh, expedition and you got back home and you you know and you had some time to reflect on that what did you, what did you learn about yourself oh emma that's such a good question i wish i'd prepared for it because um, <laughs> i could think about it all night and for the next rest of my life um i i think i i do think the mountains like any big challenge which you don't know if you can complete it. It becomes a mirror. It really it shows you who you are. And often what you see back isn't, you know, this person that you thought. Um, and I, I guess I, I yeah, I realized that I, uh, I, I, I make mistakes a lot. And um, I like to think that I'm good climber, perfect and everything I do, very meticulous with my planning and everything. And, and actually, you know, I failed and, uh, on lots of things all through the trip. So I think it's just those little tidbits that you get. But probably one of the biggest things I learned was that I was always driving to go to the extreme, to the highest place on earth, to get as far away from Wokingham as I could. <laughs> and then when I got to the summit of Everest, I, all I could think about was how much I missed her, like how much I wanted to get home and actually going to that line of life and death kind of teaches you that perhaps the things that you've got every day are the most important like we're always looking for the extraordinary moments in life but it's actually the ordinary ones that we look back on and that we cherish the most so i learned that i think that was a big lesson yeah. we're going to keep talking to bunnies norris <laughs> about life on the mountain um and particularly 
What is like after the mountain as well? Where do you go when you have climbed the highest peak in the world? That's next here on Badass Women's Hour XL. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're with Benita Norris, the youngest person to ever climb Everest. Benita, what did you do when you came home from that? Because that had been your kind of goal for two years. You'd been to this lecture, you'd seen a mountain, you decided you were going to climb it, <laughs> you got to the top, and then you come home. What? How did that feel? Uh, well, actually, it was. Um, it probably wasn't as it should have felt, um, or it has felt on other big expeditions I've done, because I actually had an accident on this on the way down from the summit. And um, so by the time I got back home, I was really felt lucky to be alive. What happened? I, I just picked up an old piece of rope and tried to, um, what we often do is we pick up the, the rope that's on the mountain that's hopefully attached to the mountain. It's been like, you know, drilled in with this metal stake or it's been tied around a rock and therefore you can hold it mm. to lower yourself down. And um, I picked up an old piece of rope that wasn't really attached to anything and I put my body weight on it and fell into air yeah, oh, and this was oh, my God. <laughs> I love how you're like. Well, I had a little, 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 little accident. I fell off a mountain. <laughs> For the yeah, Everest. nearly, nearly. I, I'm, I'm lucky I didn't because it was one of the <gasps> steepest sections, and I and I I landed quite safely on Everest, but it could, could have, you know, if mm. I'd have stepped the other way. Um, <sighs> but uh, yeah, it was summit day. We were in the death zone, breathing bottled oxygen, which runs out. So you're on a real time limit to get back to your camp where you've where you've got fresh oxygen. And suddenly I couldn't really move. I couldn't move my neck. I couldn't. It was just the most worst shooting pains of my life. And I kind of almost gave up in that moment because I thought I can't actually stand. And um, my my uh, climbing partner looked at me and he's like, Benita, if we stay here, we die. And I just thought I can't let you die so i've got to get down uh, we got back down to to um camp and then the next day i felt better and i got given loads of 
pills and I just sort of climbed down in this hallucinogenic days of like painkillers. <laughs> I got back to base camp somehow. And then when I actually got home, it was just a real shock. It was like, whoa, that wasn't how it was supposed to end. Like I just had the biggest success of my life, stood on the top of the world. Uh, and then a few hours later, the biggest failure of my life, because, you know, I literally put my teammates life in danger, which in the mountains is your biggest no. And so I couldn't, my mind was like, hang on, biggest success, biggest failure. How does that even work? It took a long time to process it. But the way I processed it was like, okay, that can't be the last climb. I want to go back and I want to turn that failure into a a success or to you know to another different ending so i when i got back from everest i was like right i want to learn from that mistake what went wrong how can i make sure it doesn't happen again and two years later i stood on the summit of the world's fourth highest peak which is shoulder to shoulder with everest and um with the same climbing partner who i'd nearly <laughs> killed that day and we sat on the summit together and that was probably like the you know the best it was the best moment of my life at that point for sure it was just wonderful to sit there with him knowing that we'd been through so much and that he'd stuck by me and that he'd climbed, <laughs> continue to climb <laughs> yeah. with me so uh it was it was that was definitely not the end after everest and and after let's see i continued to climb it's it's uh everest was just the beginning there is um a few months ago i remember reading there was a sort of a bit of an uproar about people climbing everest and um just talking about your experience there saying that actually people are dying because they're not equipped and they don't know what they're doing and they're not taking it seriously mm. do you think that there is it's that it's become a bit of a the next big endurance thing to go do to prove that you can and people are not necessarily equipped to handle it if you do what that reputation has been like shrouding everest for a lot long, long yeah. wait you know 10 years before i climbed it people were saying oh gosh now it's you know, anyone whose dog is going up Everest. Um, it's when I when I went up the mountain, we didn't queue. I know those are the, probably yeah. the photographs that you're referring to, and it was a different, it definitely felt like a different atmosphere for when I went back in subsequent years. And I and I was definitely maybe a different kind of person there. It is that, of course, there's those people because mm. they've got the money mm. and they'll make sure they get onto that mountain. And I hate that. I, I see it and I don't really like it. But at the same time, it's a real great area because you've got some people, the Sherpa people who rely on yeah. th that kind of tourism for their for their living. And who are you to say, oh, you can't earn money because I don't like the fact that he's climbing it for, you know, his big ego boost to go back to work with. Um, so it's a difficult one. I don't want to judge, really. And so what have you been doing since? You said you kept climbing. What? I guess what was the drive to keep climbing apart from I didn't want that kind of moment with my partner to be the end of it I wanted more what is it that drives it for you um, I've asked myself that question a lot the why <laughs> why do you climb and um, it was um, George Mallory that said because it's there you know like why do you need a bigger reason but for me I think over 10 years really I've come to realize that for me it was always about being in nature being part of a team, a tribe, and really just being connected with myself. You get all those things when you're in the mountains. You have to be totally in tune with your body and your mind. 
as you push yourself to the limit every day. You have to put your faith in your team and, and hope that they would, you know, die for you as you die for them. And that's an amazing connection to have. And then to be on this mountain with the sunrises and sunsets, like, it's utterly point climbing is utterly pointless it doesn't serve anyone any purpose except probably the most important things in life which is those connections with others yourself and, and nature uh, so i don't really try and explain it away too much apart from that it's like you know what more could you want really um but but now since since climbing to answer that question i i wrote a book about it and um and I speak about um, climbing and teamwork and, and goal setting. And, uh, and yeah, and I've just had a baby. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in sort of, I'm cut, I've actually, she weed on me earlier and I didn't have time to change my top before I left the house. So. New mum, <laughs> new mountain. Yeah, exactly. Do you think um, there's, a, there's a kind of a big trend at the moment around uh, hashtag girl to hike? And this kind of apparently one of the fastest growing areas in sort of sports and outdoor activities is women hiking and kind of taking out into nature, climbing whatever they can see. And do you think that people like yourself and other women who are out there climbing these mountains, are we beginning to change the face of it from kind of it's men intense? You know, mm. is it a boys' SAS? club? Is, is mountaineering a boys' club? Is there a lack of women? Um, it's really hard for me to say because my experience was not that. But I know so many women who are climbers who would say exactly yes, it is. I was just lucky that there was always women on my team, whatever mm. mountain I've climbed. Great women. Um, so lucky to have climbed with them, like really made the expeditions for me. And, um, and actually I, I never went into the mountains looking for the fact that I was a woman and these guys were men. Mm. I just went because I wanted to be there. And I think all of that stuff sort of maybe passed me by. I didn't really Mm. see any, any differences between me. You know, I knew I could climb as hard. I knew I could carry as much stuff. In fact, most days I was first camp carrying more than my male counterparts. So for me, it's like there's no difference. Um, but uh, yeah, I know that, that other women have had that experience. And I I love the fact that there are more women um, out there hiking. I just wish that there were more role models for mm. young girls because there wasn't a role model for me when I started climbing. And um, even today, I tried to fill that space for a while, but like, I've had a baby now. I'm like, come on, girls, like, who's next? Step into that space. We still have a really long way to go with getting like adventure women as role models out there. Like, we've got Bear Grylls, we've got Ed Stafford, mm. we've got Ben Fogel, we've yeah. got, uh, what's his name, Leveson Wood. I mean, the list goes on yeah. and on and on. There's still not a single woman who's had like a prime time show about adventure. And every time I speak to a production company over years and years, I get, we want the female Bear Grylls. And it's like, well, I've been hearing that for a decade and it's never happened. So we just, even though I'm so glad there are more women hiking, we just don't have those big role models. Yeah. And even like, I'm thinking of like uh, SAS Who Dares Wins, which is kind of an extreme um, TV program. They've only, just their last series, they let in women. And I've got to say, I watched the series and they were really trying to like, just pigeonhole women, weren't they, into they typical... Were, like, it was really interesting, actually, watching it, because I thought they're... I was Im- weirdly impressed that they did not hold back. They treated 
the women probably not as badly in it as they would have been treated if they were in the SS, but they were definitely as dismissive of them as I yes. would expect them to be yeah. if they were actually in the SAS. You know, there were things like, come on, what do you think you're doing? You know, if you are going to get your bra wet, you've got to take it off, go on with it. Like, but they didn't I'm not give having them a, a girls holding back. They didn't yeah. give them a replacement bra. You yeah. know, they had all yeah. the other pieces of clothing that yeah. were dry except a bra. Yeah. yeah. It's like, come on, yeah. are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was definitely, I felt like they just thought that all the women rolling. were going to fail at the beginning. Yeah. Like, yeah, I definitely was uncomfortable those first yeah. episodes. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't. One of them made it through to the final. Got that, is true. Yes. that is true. Well, that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you say to somebody who um, has perhaps climbed a small mountain in Wales and feels like they want to <laughs> climb another one? What are some kind of top tips for getting into it? Get inspired and set yourself a goal that you don't think you can achieve. For sure. I would, I would say, um, go on online, go on YouTube, like f follow me on Twitter. I post about other women who are climbing stuff all the time and, and not just women, men as well. Um, there's so much stuff on, on social media now and find a climb, whether it's Kilimanjaro, Mont Blanc, Aconcagua, you know, there are, there are great starting points that you can build up mm -hmm. to, but I do say make it something that you're actually scared of. So that if, when you wake up in the morning, you're actually kind of bricking it and going like, I don't know if I can do this. Should I pull out? Because that's what kind of puts the fire up your backside, right? It really does for me. It has to be something that um, you're uh, you're apprehensive of as well as excited exactly. by. Success is um, only stopped by fear, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of getting over that, having that yeah. fear to urge you on. Yeah. I mean, I want someone to get one of them. You know, the baby carriers. Put me on their back. <laughs> you know what? So I could have to do minimal effort, yeah. Yeah. but I enjoy the view. I'll be your Sherpa baby. There you go. Yeah. Have we? Yeah. We're yeah. Organized, we can. Yeah. Maybe just like Primrose Hill over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hop in the shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> Emma, would you ever want to climb a mountain? Do you know what? Yeah. So um, I was on holiday with uh, Benita a couple of weeks ago in Corsica and, you know, we were all, they were all climbers and I've never been climbing before and I'm sitting on the mountain. I totally get what you was, Benita was saying about the nature. It was just incredible yeah. and they were climbing this wall and I was like oh okay maybe I'll have a little go and and I think what I, I realized it was really amazing not just the not just like the physical aspects of that but what I didn't realize was the the ment the mentality of it because one there is that trust like you you know you're you've got to climb with other people but also remembering where people were putting their feet it was it was like a jigsaw puzzle and on half the skill was that memory mm. of remembering where you were going and then sharing with each other where the where to put your feet yeah. so for me i was it was really insightful actually into to climbing and i did uh, yeah i could definitely definitely get into that yeah um Benita, it's been lovely having you on the show thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us about it and making it I mean, quite frankly, making sound, climbing Everest sound, like, relatively achievable <laughs> is no mean feat in itself. Um, we have loved talking to you. If people want to follow you. you on Twitter, etc., where can they find you? At Benita Norris. Straightforward. Love it. One, two, three, four! This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 